You're listening to another episode of Build Up One Another. I'm your host, Karen Temple. This is where I interview accomplished men and women who know that to go far, you go with one another. Join us as we unpack the stories behind their key relationships and how these have impacted where they've gone and who they've become. Today, we have a real heavyweight. Our guest is Deborah Bolecki. Deborah has led multi-billion dollar businesses globally through enterprise transformation and innovation initiatives, leveraging technology and data intelligence to achieve double-digit growth at Hewlett-Packard. In addition to this, she has led a $500 million cost reduction within a services supply chain, as well as a $250 million reduction in operational costs. Her worldwide leadership extends to the Americas, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia Pacific. Deborah has also defined and led multiple go-to-market commercialization strategies. She invented and deployed a cloud computing, big data analytics solution that predicts customer service needs. And this was a real big achievement. Deborah was awarded the Technology Services Innovation Award for this at Hewlett Packard. Now a partner at Balecki & Associates Incorporated, Deborah consults and speaks frequently about big data, transformation and commercialization strategies and new business models. She is a board member of the Bank of Canada, as well as a board advisor to Women Get On Board, a co-chair for Springboard Enterprises Empowering Women-Led Businesses, as well as a member in her local community with the West Dean Restoration Effort. In fact, Deborah has been recognized for giving back to her community. She's won the City of Toronto Volunteer Award. Deborah, so delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking time to be here. You're welcome, Karen. Thank you for asking me to join you. So in the bio, I have to ask you, you mentioned travel and tourism, which sort of came up from left field. So <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, that's a fun one. Um, my early 20s, I seriously did not want to have to pay to travel. So I decided that I would join the travel and tourism industry so that they can pay for it for me. So it was um, a fantastic career opportunity, but I also figured out very quickly that's not what I wanted to do. So you went from being a flight attendant to being an executive with HP Worldwide. Unpack that transition. How did that happen? <laughs> I love my story. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, so if I started and, and just talk quickly about uh, my career, yes, it was in the travel and tourism industry in the uh, late 80s, and it was a challenging time. Um, a recession hit. The airlines uh, went into receivership, and first thing to go is, of course, you know, travel, and there was no jobs. So I decided I would switch and move to um, into the cargo space. So I literally moved from the up part of the aircraft to the bottom part, but it was more stable and always there. Um, and I switched my role and I was in sales. Okay. And so I was really uh, following on the customer service type of engagement model. Um, and I loved it because I was, um, I was successful. And I was successful because clients like to buy from people that they know and people they trust. And it all comes down to follow through. And so I will continue to build on a momentum there, um, both in the corporation I was working for and then with my clients. And then I got itchy and decided that um, I wanted to do my own thing. And I was going to start selling um, uh, solutions to and consulting services to uh, people that needed help with efficiencies. 
things that I had learned and picked up along the way in the uh, transport cargo area. And from then, um, uh, when I decided to go on my own, I approached HP, who was mm -hmm. one of my clients, and said, um, hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Are you interested? And they said to me that uh, we prefer uh, that you came and worked for us. And so um, an opportunity to come into HP Canada uh, happened, and the rest is history now. Amazing. Let me go back to where you were selling cargo space, and then you transitioned to having your own consulting firm to mm -hmm. help with the efficiencies. What did that look and feel like when you embarked on your own? And how did you go about getting your first clients? Well, so that that's kind of interesting. It, it, I think the first, the major hurdle here is that you have family support because, um, you know, you're taking a big risk when you go do this, right? You do need to pay bills and you have mortgages to pay and kids to feed and you name it. And so in this case, um, when my husband said, you know, hey, go, I was able to put in uh, my notice and, and start doing my own thing. Now, it didn't last for long because I was maybe six months um, while I was trying to drum up clients. And one of my former employers wanted to be one of my clients. And I had actually gracefully said no. Um, some people might think that was a terrible decision. <laughs> but um, I wanted to cut clean and move forward. And um, when I approached HP and they said, well, this is what we want to do. We'd like it if you would work with us. Um, there was my short stint in my consulting career of five or six months. And I was working full time again with the plan. It was only going to be for two years. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting that you decided to say no to your former employer. Mm -hmm. um, and like you say, sometimes it really is good having that clean cut um, and being able to go and build a new client. What's amazing is that you went after HP mm -hmm. to be a client and you actually convinced them so much of your skills to be able to help them with their efficiencies that they actually brought you on board. Yeah, it was, that was, that was remarkable. And, um, you know, it was their largest outsourcing initiative that they were running in Canada, like the, the largest outsourcing or any initiative to that magnitude that they had ever um, uh, done. And so I was really happy to be part of that organization. And so I had a lot of fun working on my efficiency models and things that were just, to me, very logical um, to put in place. And, you know, I, I, used, I remember attending meetings and saying to, to people who were you know, busy, you know, fussing over process designs, and we need it like this, and I, I would ask why. And they mm -hmm. say, well, because people complain. I say, well, how many people complain? Well, it turned out 2% of the people complained, and we were going to change 98% of the process. <laughs> Yeah. And so I said, no, that's not how we do business. We manage issues and we, we manage our business to the majority of, of our successes. And if there's issues, we'll deal with those. And so it was a dynamic shift in mindset for the organization. So when you talked about selling cargo now doing efficiencies, in what aspect of HP's business were you helping them with their efficiencies? Uh, that would be their service parts, logistics. So it was... Um, all their warehouse storage, um, pick, pack, ship, and transportation. Okay. Now, you mentioned that when you were at HP that you designed and developed a predictive analytics tool. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came into being? Because that sounded like a real highlight of your career at, the, at HP. Yeah, well, I mean, I had, I had amazing – I had tons of highlights. That one in particular um, started, um, and it certainly wasn't on my own. So it started with a, a sales call and what I 
would, because I was in the global organization, I wanted to stay close to the clients. And I would uh, go on sales calls occasionally with, um, within the city. And we approached a large client and the client said, hey, we do business with you. You know everything about our organization. Uh, well, most people in large corps uh, will agree and those that are listening will agree that to say that we have it all in one place is crazy because it's not. Everything's in silos or different sales channels or models. And we, we got into the, um, the sales rep car after we, we had this meeting and it was a strategy meeting that we were having with this client. And he said, look, you know everything about us. Can you come back with a proposal? And so I asked the sales rep how long it would take him mm. to uh, accomplish that. And he says, I'll never be able to. Mm. And so, you know, again, I'm, I was in a global role. I was in a leadership role. Strategy was part of our, our, uh, my responsibility as it related to my business sector. <clears throat> and I was able to decide uh, very quickly that we had um, an opportunity. And so with that opportunity, um, I had other people in the organization that uh, would advise, hey, you know, I, I saw that this is going on here and I see this is going on there. And so we start to stitch together an idea. And one of the things that was quite phenomenal was receiving a phone call from our, our VP of marketing. Um, and she said, hey, I was just in India and our global analytics team is working on this. You should talk to them. And so when I got in touch with them and they shared with me what I was doing, it was somewhat to what we needed to some degree. It was done on Excel spreadsheets and a server under a desk, which some people call shadow IT, so no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I said, look, I have a proposal for you. And I approached our Asia Pacific region um, who was funding it. And I said, um, I'll fund this globally if you allow me to take it over. Um, and enhance and make it more. So, so here you can see the unraveling of great ideas from multiple different areas, trying to pull it together, fund it properly, um, have a single leader oversight, and then bring the regions in. And we started doing um, so these needs gap assessments. And basically what we created was a single repository location where our sales reps could go and get anything that they needed about their client everything about the client that they needed as far as um, their business and what has been sold by our direct sales force, um, product-wise, service-wise, and so on. Well, that was fantastic. And I said, well, let's take it one step further. Um, where we're having challenges with um, one business sector because we lose line of sight um, after a purchase um, to when their client's going to need service uh, again, because they prepay for services. Um, we did a couple of things. We, um, we decided that we were going to do what we call co-term or coterminous uh, alignment. And we identified these contracts um, that were going to expire, made sure they lined up to the main contract. That was huge. So we started to do that. And then uh, we took it one step further and said, um, we want to know the likelihood of a client to repurchase services that they acquired three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we want to know the likelihood is that the product's now three or four years old. So we need to know based on the country, the origin, and by the way, 680 different data points, um, the likelihood of the client to repurchase services. Wow. So that we could then spend our time and efficiency in an area that made sense. 
Um, so we did predictive and predict, uh, predictive and prescriptive analytics um, and created um, a very uh, effective model uh, where we could actually predict the outcome of a customer's buying pattern and the accuracy was at 87%. That's incredible. That's, I mean, just listening to it, I, I can't fathom, but I imagine you know the number, like in terms of savings and opportunity costs, the whole bit, when you roll it all up, what did, what did it mean in terms of dollar value? Well, so we, we work on savings as much as revenue generation. Um, mm -hmm. And it was quite significant. Um, I can't really say some of those details, but I can say that um, <laughs> one of the sales reps I asked to pilot this with, I just said, please just trust me. Mm -hmm. Trust me. Use the data to pull your contracts together for your client uh, for the next year. And he, he tracked me down at our, um, our global sales kickoff. And uh, he was a little tipsy because he was really happy. <laughs> and he says, I owe you a bottle of Dom Perignon. And I said, why is that? And he said, you were absolutely right. We were missing so much stuff. Amazing. And so, you know, it, he was a proof in, in concept. And so if you could just envision um, um, scattered, and then uh, linear. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you're taking all this information, data, and everything that's scattered all over the place, and you bring it together in a linear format. Um, and the clients were impressed. Like, Well, they felt no one. I'm, I'm sure they felt like that they were, they, that you really understood them mm -hmm. and that they were known to you and that you understood their needs, wants, and desires, perhaps even before they did. Well, in some cases, the clients had lost line of sight. And they didn't even know that they had those products. I see. They didn't yeah. even know they had the services because, you know, things yeah. just change. And we're talking, you know, mega data centers. So that's a great example of innovating within a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. And when you tell the story here, it Sounds as though it went tickety-boo right along the process. Everybody was agreeable, pulled the team together. You were able to get the software in, get the analytics going, pilot it. But how, how could you just unpack what that actually looked like and in, in more, give us an idea about what the timescales were, what were sort of the major hurdles that you had, what were some of the major high points along the way? Sure, sure. So I would say we started this in 2010. And if you look up the patent, it was filed in 2015, but we were complete in 2013. You know, I had to work with uh, our HP Labs folks to file the patent um, before I decided to retire. I was like, come on, guys, this is like the last thing we have to do, right? Um, so, you know, thinking back um, to that timeline and the big milestones. So, um, I don't know, it was a series of coincidence or, or a series of planned activities. Um, I talked about a server under the desk in Shadow IT. Well, Shadow IT is frowned upon in any large corporation um, because it's not protected devices. And I don't recommend anybody does this ever. Um, but it just, when there was cost cutting and things, you know, people were doing whatever they needed to do to try to keep um, innovating in their, their business area. And so, one of the first things I did when I brought it in global was I talked to our IT team and we were able to, um, to lease space in a sandbox. Um, and it's not the sandbox the kids play in, but it's literally an IT sandbox where you can literally play for a period of time. 
Well, then they said, okay, your lease is up. And I said, well, you know, this is a business critical requirement now because it's tied to revenue generation. And so let's put a business case together. So we put the business case together um, and we were probably one of the few um, innovation, well, actually the only innovation um, solution, but one of the few that was actually IT funded and not business funded. And that's huge. So we had a huge return on investment um, in our business case to show what the potential was if we were to implement this, um, which then opened up the pocketbook for innovation and a whole, like a, a real home for this okay. solution. And um, what they ended up doing was IT worked with us on it. We had uh, three phases. The first phase was basically just pulling everything together. Um, and just to give you an idea of the magnitude, what, what I'm talking about is in order to um, produce the uh, visual of one client, um, the systems had to go through about 10 million records. Wow. It was huge. So we, we learned things along the way, such as, um, you know, I always say, you know, that wheel spinning and you're waiting and you're waiting for information to come. Well, we found out that uh, we were sharing a server and depending on the time of day when people were working, um, we had to wait longer. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking sales professionals, very impatient, mm -hmm. um, as I am at times. And, you know, we just needed this right away. So we said, look, we need our own server. And so we, we were given a high-end Vertica server um, under the IT umbrella and everything was channeled into that. That was a big accomplishment in addition to the IT funding. Um, the next phase of that um, was incorporating, of course, all the feedback from our regions and our testers and so on and pulling that in. And that's when the regions start embracing. And it, I would say if you were to take this assignment, 20% um, was worked on the production and 80% of the time was on management change. Mm, right. And then, and then the third phase was the uh, predictive and prescriptive analytics. So 80% on the management, the change. Yeah. That's where the humans come involved. Yeah. Um, so what were the, how did, how did that all unfold? Um, a lot of hard work. <laughs> and and how travel. many people are we talking about? So on the technology development, that 20%, how many people got involved in that? Which you uh, I would say there were, you know, including, you know, people that were testers and the IT teams and the people that were project managing and, and kind of working on it in the regions, probably about 40. And then as far as the user base, um, the direct user base was about 1,500 employees. Okay. Um, but then our channel partners loved it so much that they wanted it. So we started to make it available to them. Okay. Um, so then you get into the data privacy thing, whereas we have a lot of privacy um, stipulations. So, you know, certain data can't be shared with either organizations, even though at a global, I could see it all. So mm -hmm. we would have to put in very strict protocols there. Um, and then um, the, and the large global account managers started to see the value. And they're like, hey, we don't have this. And you know more about our clients than we know about our clients because you're seeing it. You can see, you know, let's just say, um, you know, pick any company name. Well, let's just call it ABC. Mm -hmm. ABC company has um, facilities in 34 countries. And, you know, no, only the countries can see what's going on because there was no single singular 
report in. And this just pulled it all together for them. So they, it started to be used by a multitude of different organizations, which was great. And that's what we wanted. So 40 people during the actual development, and then obviously it just snowballed when it got into the hands of, of the end users. Mm-hmm. Um, during the technical development, what were some of the challenges in pulling together a team of 40 to do this? And then the second part of the question is when you're doing the change management on the business side, what were the what were the challenges there in terms of getting an organization behind? I'm sure once they saw the value, they were pulling for it. Yeah, well, it's um, I'm going to tackle the the um, user base first um, because actually um, pulling together the team for the development, and the rest of it. Once um, I mean, it it loved working on that assignment because it was innovation and creation, and they had been uh, going through cost cutting, I call it slash and burn kind mm-hmm. of work, where we were really trying to consolidate, eliminate you know, reduce costs and so on. And so this was actually something that was investing into the organization and it was creating revenue and it was different. A chance to build something. Exactly. Right? Everybody they loves were, building. Yes. And they were so excited. So I, I actually think that we probably got some of the best um, technical people on the assignment. Um, as far as the user groups, now this is where it gets really interesting because, you know, there's always the old, I don't believe in the data. It wasn't invented here. The I can do it better. And the naysayers have an awful lot of pull. Remember I talked to you when I first came into HP that, you know, people were working everything towards, you know, 2% of the population that complained. And, um, you know, the big, the big change here was that we were pressing forward and saying, thank you very much for your insights because people that are, have something to say, have a reason for saying it and we need to listen to it and you take it into account. Um, and when you start getting into, well, no, the data is good because <laughs> you know, all you end up doing is, is getting into like a teeter-totter kind mm. of thing. And so we would say, look, even, even if, and we, we could say that the data was as accurate as the data that was put into the systems based on the information that sales or customer operations had or product sales had put into the systems, right? So if somebody used the same, you know, serial number for 25 different products, then you know what? It's garbage in, garbage out. Right. And so, you know, when it comes down to it, you can, if you want to point fingers, you can point it back at, to the original source of the data. Mm-hmm. But um, we did things differently. I, I turned around and um, I actually hired um, a group of people and have them manually cleanse uh, 2.4 million records in order to make sure the records had the right elements that need to be um, put into the system and had an accuracy level. 2.4 million records. Yep. Just going through making sure it's all clean and good. Yep. Right. And that's just, yeah. and that was just for one small segment area that we were missing. The rest of them we had to take um, what was given to us and with support from our regions, um, they got to the point where they just said, look, at 80% or 85%, that is good enough good to enough. make a decision. Right. A decision. We don't have to have 100%. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so it was a lot of management change, a lot of uh, training, uh, train the trainers, um, a lot of management support. I want to go back to where you said that it, um, when you're dealing with naysayers and you're debating and people are saying, well, what about this? What about that? 
it's true. It can get into that teeter-totter type situation. How else can you um, suggest that people get out of that seesaw back and forth? I've done a couple of tricky things in one one position I had at the corporation um, and I was overseeing very large expenditures and I had kind of a sniffing of, I think there's this issue going on and, uh, you know, I wasn't quite getting the support that I needed. And, and it just, every time we got into a call, there was, um, not, not, I wouldn't say confrontational. It was uh, just, there was no value in having the call when the calls hijacked over, you know, just one complaint after another complaint after another complaint. And when we're, we've listened to the complaints and these are repeated over and over and we've listened to the complaints, but it's not something that's going to get fixed quickly. So we acknowledge, yes. And then when it just kept going on, actually what I ended up doing this case in one scenario with one person, I actually um, said, okay, we're canceling the meetings, cancel the meeting and then reissued the meetings and didn't invite them. And about a year goes by and everybody else's numbers are in the green and his is still in the red. And he said, he calls and said, um, I said, you do know that I cut you off, right? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, you know, there comes a point where you need to be part of the team. Okay. And um, just understand that as part of the team, it means that we all work together. And uh, you can see your other regions are doing very well. We're all working together as one. They're doing very well in the performance. Are you really to come back? You know, if I had to do, that's pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. um, but we, I just, you know, at a wit's end, um, I had a job to do and I just couldn't continue to do it with, right. you know, one right. that was putting aside. And previously we've spoken about times like that where either um, when you're plowing towards something that you know is going to be great, either people will come on board because they see that there's a huge opportunity mm -hmm. And for those that are trying to be the naysayers or the roadblockers, either they get out of the way or they come on board at some point. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. In that particular case, you were in a position of authority. So mm -hmm. you were able to do the rescheduling and, and uh, be able to move that roadblock out of the way. And um, other times where, where it's somebody at a higher level where there's a back and forth happening, any thoughts on how, um, a more junior position might navigate that. Yeah, and that's, and that's a challenge because you're getting into a more of a political play there. Hmm. Um, I do not recommend arguing with executives in public. I do not recommend <laughs> challenging executives <laughs> in public. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and having a conversation with somebody and telling them what you think and so on, but uh, you need to watch, and I call it your P's and Q's, right? Right. And uh, you need to toe the company line. So if you have an executive that is, um, is wanting you to go a certain direction, um, a good executive will sit there and listen to all the other people's inputs, um, but not all executives are like that. Some executives are very hierarchical, mm -hmm. and they'll say, this is the way I want it done, and you just have to march to the tune. Otherwise, you can have challenges. If you have significant issues, right? And last resort is you don't have to stay. Absolutely. You have choices. Absolutely. Yeah. So if it's undermining your values, your ethics, um, and if you're that passionate about it, you can move. 
Yeah. And I say this really for listeners who are, who are coming in, who may find themselves at different points in their career, who might be saying, yeah, but here's my situation, right? Mm-hmm. And I love what you've said there, because often in today's world where everything is out there, mm-hmm. um, it's become the norm, as opposed to asking time with the executive to take it offline, to ask a series of questions. Because I always say there's so much more that's happening at their level mm-hmm. that they have um, purview over that they have visibility on mm-hmm. that you just don't at a, at a more junior position have visibility mm-hmm. as to what it is that they're trying to drive and the pressures that they're under and that the corporation may be under. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to approach it well, then you can gain additional understanding. You can potentially better understand his or her world. You could then potentially um, be able to be an asset as a member of whatever team and role and responsibility that you do have. Mm -hmm. And I love also your point that if you're unhappy, move. Yep. Well, I have to, you talking about that, (laughs) you brought back some memory and um, I had a, I was, I was on a conference call once with a colleague, my boss and another gentleman and um, more than likely no, I would say 180% likely I should have been on the call that they were on earlier because it actually had something to do with my business, but I wasn't. So when we got on a call later and I actually didn't know what had transpired, I actually contradicted information that was shared. And so my boss ended up calling me up and he just reamed a strip off of me like up one side, down the other, and then finished with, I'm sorry, you didn't know. Mm. So totally to your, mm. to your point, um, if you're unaware of what's going on behind the scenes, you can't really be blamed or at fault. Um, but, you know, on the other side is he, he could have chastised me in public but he didn't, mm-hmm. he actually called me. And then I was like, well, geez, I didn't know. If I'd known, I wouldn't have said A, B, C, D, F, G because they just settled the guy <laughs> down and I just <laughs> I just got them all excited again. Round so. them all up, eh? I totally round them all up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we were talking earlier, you mentioned that there was one period where you experienced a really difficult time and there was a lot riding on it. And, um, and you were able to work through it. And because of that, your career really pivoted. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you were able to navigate that? And in particular, if there were humans involved, because really we focus always on the human relationship here. Yeah, well, this is all human related. Um, There was a a significant business issue. um, And, you know, one, one organization that was very confrontational with the other one. And I had made the recommendation to the leadership team that maybe what we should do is put a war room together. And you know, for those that aren't familiar with the war room, it's just basically you bring in some very, very high, high caliber talent. You focus on it for a very short period of time. You come out with the executable plan. You start executing on that plan. You make sure it's sticking and then you move on. And, uh, and so I said, we need, you know, somebody that's a really strong leader. We need this. We need that in many ways. And then there was radio silence. Oh. So you were calling for a war room. I was calling for a war room. Then there was radio silence. You got to be careful for those radio silences, by the way. Right. Because usually it comes back at you. That's right, Deb. Great idea. And you're going to lead it. 
Okay. I'm like, great. <laughs> the radio silence was, hmm. And when I say radio silence, I mean, it was, it was a communication correspondence that went on and then radio silence for like two or three days. And then it came back saying, okay, you're, you're driving this forward we can't think of anybody better than the one that came up with the idea. Right. That's always a great, <laughs> great. compliment. Thank right. you. <laughs> um, anyways, and the and gentleman, and they said, uh, I said, well, the only way it's going to work is if in the other organization, there's an equal meet because you can't have it. You can't have this finger pointing going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so anyways, this other gentleman uh, was actually, uh, a, he was a challenge of his own. Um, and, you know, managing through the relationship, um, and I and I say it wasn't a personal thing to me, but he was um, it was very difficult with other employees. And now, did you get to shoot? Was he no? He was assigned, or he was he assigned. Was, he was assigned. Okay, who, and who loved was, you to put him on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who who wanted you on? But anyways, um, so he he was assigned. We were coworkers um, of equal caliber working on this assignment, one from one division, one from the other. And uh, so the two of us worked through, um, you know, kind of the business issues and so on. But there was, um, his style was a challenge. Uh, Challenge given the situation at hand and needing to come together in a war room or just in general? In general. He was was just a tyrant and um, really... uh, of in your face and and nothing was good enough and it was negative 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 and anyways and i here i am i'm trying to be you know my diplomatic um, self and and then i started to get sick physically sick physically i started i started to get hives and at one time i got kidney stones and so my body's saying enough well so this gentleman uh, i said to him look i'm not well i think i need to go see the doctor and he said well, could, could you just open up the conference call because, you know, you, you're so much better at it than I am. And I said, you know what, the company will survive if I die, click. And so if you, if you notice now, this is not the first time, it's the second time I'm telling you that I put a threshold in, but my, my threshold level is very high. So I've given a lot of leeway and therefore it means that I didn't manage something earlier than I should have because it started to impact my health. But I came back a different person. I actually came back and I had a very um, strict discussion with him and let him know this is what's going on and this is how you're behaving and this is how everybody feels. And he had no idea. Mm. And so I guess my feedback to everybody here that's listening is, you know, not to presume that people understand that they're bad actors, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes they need to be advised in not in a harsh way. Um, because I wasn't harsh. I was just firm. And he said, could you help me? Could you let me know when I start doing that? And so I would message, instant message, because we had it back then. It's amazing to think we had this back in 2007. But anyways, so I messaged him and I'd say, did you have one too many coffees today? (laughs) (laughs) You know, in other words, can you settle it down a bit? And, you know, so I tried to add some humor into the corrections and so on. And we learned so much from each other. I learned so much about myself. We still stay in touch. We became very, very close colleagues, which is, you know, most people would have probably thrown in the can on something like that. Absolutely. You know, I'm just amazed listening, listening to that story because to be able to go to somebody and put a mirror so that they're able to see 
how their actions and behavior are affecting potential outcomes and their human relationships. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a real difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would come away from that very defensive, mm -hmm. feeling as though you're gunning for them. Mm -hmm. And yet you're able to do it in a way that had him respond saying, can you help me? Um, I was surprised. I was right. You know, yeah. you're right. Cause it can go one of two ways, but I also saw his, I saw his uh, potential. And did you know, coming into that conversation that you were going to approach it in a certain way? Were you thoughtful about coming in firm? Cause you knew you needed to be firm because he had passed a, a threshold boundary for you. Mm -hmm. Your health was now suffering. Mm -hmm. How, how did you go about approaching that conversation? Um, with honesty, yeah. honesty and integrity in a calm voice. And, and you know, I shared with him, you know, you know, hey, this is what's happened to me because I didn't stand up, but I'm not letting you do it to any of my people. Mm -hmm. Right. And and it's interesting throughout my career, actually, and when I started with HP, one of the first things that I did with my staff was I said, issues and complaints come to me. You shouldn't have to deal with that. You're entitled to have a happy career and a happy life. <laughs> I'll take care of those for you. That unloaded so much burden from them, right? And, you know, we got a really, you know, going back to the war room, we ended up, um, we achieved so much in such a short period of time. Um, my colleague and I uh, were awarded one of the highest awards um, at our level, um, you know, in the organization. And when your VP um, called me about it, he said, in my career at the organization, I've been here for 20 years, nobody's ever received this accomplishment. Now, is that your technology innovation award? Or is that a different no, that's award? Completely different. That's a different award. Yeah. It was because of the two of you coming together. Uh, coming together, we, um, let's just say that, you know, we fixed the problem mm -hmm. and it equated to um, a significant profit improvement in the organization. Um, you know, they would have had to have sold a lot of products in order to make that margin. That's amazing. Right? It was pretty amazing. Um, and then, and then what had happened was what I didn't know, we made like the most senior executives were watching because it had such high profile. And, um, with that, um, I received my directorship, which is a very big accomplishment in HP because, um, it was a very flat organization. There wasn't, okay. there's not a lot of executives. Yeah. So to be invited in was. And you realized afterwards that there, these executives were watching. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Like you said earlier, you never know who's watching or listening. Nope. <laughs> you don't know who's <laughs> watching or listening. Just why well, we should always be putting our best self forward at all time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Cause you, you don't know, you know, a phone call could come 18 months, 24 months yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I think back earlier in our conversation where you talked about coming into HP and being able to look at efficiency improvements and ask the right questions, be able to very quickly get at a 30,000 foot level and mm -hmm. see where the anomalies are and see where things didn't make sense all the way through to this being able to bring this coworker and help him become a better version of himself. Mm -hmm. Makes me think you have certain superpowers. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, because that's it's pretty incredible to navigate mm -hmm. these different um, human interactions and helping people to change how they're responding to complaints, let's say, or helping another human be able to 
see themselves through another person's eyes. What would you say your superpowers? I can see simplicity in very complex situations. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. Mm -hmm. It might be just the way my brain's wired. Um, but that one, that one, I'm just like, like, don't you understand? Like, you know, this should go here. And, yeah. You know, simple things like even packing a car. No, no, it's not going to fit like that. It's all going to be. And so I'm, I've already in my head, you know, preconceived how things should be to a degree. Right. Right. And you're so, open to suggestions, but oh, I totally. think this is how it should be. I, I'm sitting here laughing because that's, if I, somebody was asked to me what my superpowers are, that's what I would say. I'm able to look at a complex thing and simplify it down. Yeah. And and then the other is, um, I always say I'm a fix it or grow it lady. So the, the grow it side would be um, look at anything. It, it didn't matter. I've now realized it didn't matter what industry it was. It's just in general, you can look at things and see oh how you can easily you utilize a product in B scenario. And so it'll be completely outside of a total different industry than what they're targeting a client would be targeting and, yeah. and so it's knowing when to let go and step away and step aside letting go of my career at hp mm. and that it was time for somebody else to come in and take over what i had done and what i always like to do is kind of put it all in the box and look it all over and shake it up and then pour it out and then see where it all fits again right yeah. and somebody else is entitled to do that and surprisingly when i left and retired from my corporate career yeah, I would have thought that I would have been a little more protective of my things, like the, my accomplishments there in case something got torn down. And and I wasn't. That solution I was talking about, that patent pending and the automation solution I was talking about, they actually did shut it down. And they realized that they had that it was the best out there. And so they turned it back on. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but I, I was surprised that emotionally I just looked at it and said, well, that was ridiculous knowing when to let go and knowing um, that it's okay, that it's going to be in good hands. That's really tough. So how do you do that? Well, I can't say that it's like that you don't care. It's probably that you, um, you feel like you've accomplished what you needed to accomplish. And then besides the fact, if somebody else takes on what you were doing, they can actually make it better and create new momentum, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you can run out of steam as well. So I don't know if there's a magic wand to that one. Um, was it a process for you? So I had lots of time. And um, I think, you know, the first part when they said, hey, yeah, you know what? We're okay with you retiring. I was like, <laughs> don't need me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh. And then, and I'm like, hang on a second. I'm okay with this. It was my idea. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say it was your it idea. Was my idea. Did I forget that was my idea? Um, I think the big thing about uh, the importance about letting go is it's on your terms. Right. And then, you know, I also feel that you need to get turfed a couple of times to become humble mm -hmm. and understand that getting turfed a couple of times, first of all, toughens you up and uh, makes you kind of bounce back up. Um, but you learn from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without those trying times in life, that's the crucible of life, right? <laughs> that's what helps us to refine and get tougher. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, and I've always been curious when I meet accomplished women like you to understand how you navigated the genders and, and was there anything conscious? And did you see, for instance, um, your relationships one-on-one -on -one with guys you're working with or within groups of guys? How did that all pan out for you? And um, well, I would say, I would preface it with saying that um, 
how I approach things may not be how other people approach things. And so, you know, I don't know that there is any right or wrong answer. Yeah, but right? your story. But my story um, is certainly uh, interesting. When I was in the transport business, um, I was the only female sales person. And I would, <laughs> I would hear things like, oh, Deb, you're only successful because you're walking in the back through the receiving area where all the guys are. <laughs> and I, I'd look at my colleague and I'm like, yeah, Bill, but you know, you're a handsome guy and you're walking in the reception area. There you go. <laughs> so I think we're on equal terms here. Now who's the better salesperson? Right. So there was always a healthy, friendly competition. Sort of like a banter? Always. And yeah. um, let's talk about competition yeah. a little bit. Well, yeah. it's funny. Well, guys, guys by nature are, I think are competitive by nature. So if they come across a female that manages it in the same, and knows how to stick handle, right? The play same, ball. Yeah. Play ball with the boys is yeah. usually the way I phrase it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they would say, Oh, we're going golfing. I'm like, yeah, I golf. And then they would stop inviting me because I would outdrive them. <laughs> <laughs> now I didn't do that on purpose guys. I was just like, but uh, we had, we had a lot of fun. I would just, I had a lot of fun. And then when, one day I had um, the president of, company asked me he says you know I've got a daughter and you seem to manage through this like how do you how do you deal with it and I said oh Bob it's easy sometimes I just have to outgross the guys and he's like what and I said well you know keep in mind that things have changed in the last 20 years 30 years right since right and uh you know maybe we can't say or do the same things that we would do then but um I would I would seriously if they if they said something that that kind of offended me. I would just totally up at one, and then they would start laughing. So that was the way to work with them. In in more of an executive uh, role, I found the gentleman to be extremely respectful. But you know, there were some groups that they would invite, you know, your boss, your boss's boss, and these guys. This guy was like an underling to me, and then not invite me. But they were going out having whiskey and, and cigars, hmm. Hmm. you know. And and how do you manage something like that? Well, you know. And I'll be honest, that pissed me off, mm-hmm. right? And because I was like, hang on a second here. Like, I'm not part of this conversation. So what are you guys having a conversation about here that's going to impact me and I'm not in the know and kind of going back to that scenario where I can end up in trouble because, you know, I'm not towing the same line. So, you know, those kind of things would happen. And um, I would just talk one-to-one with the organizer and say, you know, hey, that's not quite a cool thing to do. Or sometimes I just let it go. I just yeah. totally didn't care. You don't need to be in control of everything. No, there was probably many times I could have laid formal complaints, of which I chose not to because I felt that um, it wasn't in my best interest to do it. And I felt that I could manage through it. But if mm-hmm. I didn't feel I could manage through it, then I would actually consult with people. Or again, if it was just not what I wanted, I'd just move on. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but you can tell from my career I didn't move on a lot <laughs> <laughs> no it sounded like you masterfully navigated <laughs> yeah the corporate ladder in, in a really amazing way um so can I yeah can I add to that um now I talked about the guys but women were totally different and that one I didn't master right and I I never understood why more women didn't support each other in the business mm-hmm. the way that I saw men collaborating in the rest of it. And so, you know, certainly less women there. I'd say about the ratio was about 25% on the okay. leadership team. Some were very uh, malicious, hmm. you know, and uh, would, you know, I have one gentleman once say, Hey, why is so-and-so trying to, you know, sabotage your, 
your initiative here. So it was over to him. Oh yeah, totally. And so you have choices in life. You can choose to make us think about it, or you can choose to acknowledge and see and watch and manage yourself in a very diplomatic way. Because usually stuff like that comes around and bites somebody later. Mm-hmm. So, and if it doesn't, then, you know, not this time, but maybe some other time it will. I find that there are those who wait for the world to adjust so that they feel that they can navigate and go along their path. And there are those who say, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go after my goals and my dreams. And in between me and that goal, there is this thing called the world and all these crazy things called humans. Some are going to support me. Some are going to sabotage me. But it's my responsibility to figure out how to navigate that and how to be able to move through that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that is very, a very uh, articulate way to describe it because we are in charge of our destiny mm-hmm. and our outcome. Nobody else. You know, I just, I encourage people to be um, bold and polite mm. and respectful. And if you have um, really good ethics behind you, stay true to those. Mm-hmm. You know, if you say you're going to do something, follow through on it. Right. You can't do it. So, you know, there's that that balance as well in the corporate world about, you know, what do you share with regards to your health or a situation going through? Do people feel you're weak? And, you know, I've been through my own medical issues and confided in my boss and my boss confided in his boss and they did whatever they needed to do to protect me and support me through it. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had the best career, the best leaders. I work for what I consider to be one of the best companies and I feel very privileged. Yeah. Yeah. The trust component is absolutely huge. And, um, and when we're able to build a level of trust with another human and then we're able to have a real human conversation where we're able to go offline and meet people where they are. And it's incredible the reception and the, support and the empathy that you can find because we're all going through difficult times in life mm-hmm. but to your point people often are worried that it's going to present as weak you know we have legislation that supports employees um, that should feel comfortable to be able to talk to leaders that have some empathy yeah so building on the trust and the gender one i just want to circle back to that do you think there's a way that men build trust amongst other men that's different than how women build trust amongst women you know i think a lot of i think first of all if we could figure this out then we'd probably be gazillionaires that's what we're doing right here (laughs) (laughs) don't tell the audience um i don't know that there is you know i joined a board where now the the representation of women is slightly greater than that of men and i asked the chair and and um and you know second command i said well, how is it different? And they said, it's dynamically different. I wanted to ask you about your heroes. So as we've mentioned before, when people go far, it's usually with people. Mm -hmm. So if you were to think about, say, one of the key people in your life, and I'm going to ask you to go outside family, because that's one that is an easy one for people to go Mm -hmm. to. How do I nail down to one? Okay, I'll give you three. So many. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Every single one of the leaders I worked for had a pivotal moment in my career. Ludger giving me my directorship and giving me the opportunity to lead that boardroom because he knew that I had the shit spot to make it happen. 
right? And mm-hmm. seeing in me what I didn't see in myself. Mm. Okay. Um, Taeping, who passed away way too young at 46. Um, what a hero he was to me. He, I think I drove him nuts. I honestly think I drove him nuts, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would ask one of my colleagues, am I irritating him? Yes. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. Because we actually were, were, were two like-minded people. We, we did the Myers-Briggs and everybody's all over the place. And then Taeping and I are in the same quadrant. You know, so you don't have to speak. You can just understand each other. Oh, yeah, totally. It was like, <laughs> And so how, how was he pivotal for uh, you? He was pivotal from the perspective of um, just giving me complete and utter autonomy to do what I need to do mm. and with a large challenge. And that was we need to reduce our cost by half a billion dollars. And what was your relationship to him? Um, he was on Luger's leadership team. Okay. Remember, all eyes are watching and seeing. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went and um, where I left supply chain and I had moved into another role, I came back into the supply chain again, um, which was very cool. And then uh, he said he knew that I was, uh, it was going to be a short assignment for me, about 18 months. And he was about right because I turned at 18 months. And I remember this conversation in May. He had no boundaries. <laughs> But I mean, no boundaries. What do you mean, no boundaries? No boundaries. He was he was living in Singapore, mm-hmm. um, and here I'm. I was in Toronto, you know. Or if we were traveling, he'd call Deborah. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm out for dinner with my colleagues. It's ten thirty at night. Okay, at eleven uh, thirty when you come back, we're going to meet. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was like, oh god, it's two o'clock in the morning, and I have to be up at six or seven or whatever. But you know, I would graciously continue to do that. And yeah. you know, he had something urgent he needed to to discuss and how we we're going to evolve. But he not only was he a hard hard worker, he pushed um, the best out of people. Mm. And so he he made me a better a better version of myself. Anyways, and so I remember the May time frame where I was just like, okay, taping. By this period of time, I'm done. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna look for something else, or you can help me find something else because I'm done. <laughs> and it's time for somebody else to come in. And he, he's like, "Uh huh, okay, Johan. Wow. As soon as you figure out how a leader works, um, he was the kind of leader that he he spoke everything that he was thinking, and if you weren't smart enough to take notes, you'd be at a loss to know what to do next." Okay. So you need to know who you're yeah. working for, right? So um, he he taught me diplomacy, and uh, and he was so supportive and passionate, and he became a, a very good friend, ally for me. Anyways, um, what did I learn from him the most? International international diplomacy, I think, would be the. Was there an example on the diplomacy that uh, comes to mind? Because you're dealing with all the, I was dealing with so many different cultures, yeah. and you had to be so respectful of all the different cultures. And you know, respect looks differently in different cultures. Yes, and it's and you could get on a conference call, and if you don't like, oh, you know, this is one example. Um, I remember being on a, a conference call, and it was just three of us that were going to be there, and I'm talking to a gentleman that's uh, from Austria. And there's a gentleman from the U.S. is running behind. And so, you know, Manfred and I are speaking and, and uh, we're chatting about, you know, how are the kids? What's going on? What are you doing for holidays? You know, da, da, da. you know, just having a general, you know, ease into the meeting. 
and my other colleague jumps into the phone and starts getting right into business. And I say, whoa, 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 wait. Let's put a pause on that for a second. If you don't mind, Manfred and I are having an espresso. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, here's where I'm working on a different etiquette level because in Europe, it's, you know, it's very much around breaking bread and That's having right. coffee and having personal relationships. Uh, U.S. is very much business, business, business. And under his direction to learn a lot more about that. Amazing. Just listening to you speak about these people, I can feel the depth of the connection, that human relationship. Doing really tough stuff and you have great relationships in the workplace, just talking, just hearing you describe tape, taping, yeah. calling you at 1030 at night, yeah. but you want to take that call. Yeah. Because yeah. right? they're out there for you. You're there for them yeah. and you're accomplishing amazing things together. Yeah. And I would add to that and say taping, while he, you know, pushed boundaries in that way, he knew my whole family. Right. Who do you want to be a hero to? Young women leaders. And how do you want to be a hero in that way? I just want them to know that they can do anything that they want to do and accomplish anything they can accomplish, um, but they can't do it alone. So you, you're going to need advocates and allies um, in your court. And that supporting one another now is so more crucial than it ever was before. And I'm not talking about a feminist movement. I'm just talking about good, authentic, kind support. You know, there was a ladies network there. They did stuff together, you know, and it might've been something not in the workforce, mm -hmm. right? But it was, oh my gosh, I'm in a bind. Like I, I you know, my mom had multiple sclerosis and she, my sister called and she's like, she, mom, mom's really not well. She's being given her last rights. And in two hours I had to be on a plane and my husband was living in China. What am I going to do? I have two dogs, you know, a child that was eight and a house yeah, and a career. What am I to do? Yeah. No word of a lie. Within an hour, the dogs are being picked up. My daughter was taken care of at somebody's home and I was on a flight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need that kind of network in our corporate careers. And we're not all out there trying to one-up one another. You know, there are some people that are going to stand out and are going to get promoted and we should be behind them and making it happen. Be who you are, right? Be authentic and, and be yourself. And so that's... And you're doing a lot of this already through your work on boards mm -hmm. and your work supporting women entrepreneurs. I love what you're doing, Deb. And that's one of the reasons why... So happy that you took the time. I know you're very busy um, to come on the show because you're a real example of how we can build our relationships with one another and then together do amazing things. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Karen, for asking me to do this. It's my pleasure. Folks, I'm going to be including links below in the show notes on where you can find Deborah Pilecki. And we just want you to think going forward that by showing up and pouring into one another, I hope you can see how we can do magical things together. I guarantee you as well that it's through these relationships that you will find peace like none other and blessings richer than you could ever have imagined. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. Let us know by rating, sharing, reviewing, and subscribing. So until next time, my friend, be well and go build up one another.